0: At Woodside Bible Church, we gather each week to pursue God by studying His Word together. God created us for community, and with community comes conflict. It seems ever-present in our day-to-day lives, from little things to big things. In today's society, cancel culture is prevalent, and when there's conflict in our lives, it can be easy to turn to the ways of canceling one another. Knowing how to resolve conflict lovingly is an essential component of our lives. When we resolve conflicts out of love, we honor Christ. Join us in our new series, Conflicted, Pursuing Peace in a Cancel Culture, where we'll turn to the Gospel of Matthew to see what Jesus has to say about handling conflict.
1: Well, we're midst of a series that we have called Conflict, Conflicted rather, and uh, the series really has to do with a study of Matthew 18. Matthew 18 is this wonderful chapter of the Bible where Jesus in particular talks about how the family of faith, the community of believers ought to relate to one another, in particular as it pertains to conflict, as it pertains to disagreements, as it pertains to Sin And if I were to sum up his teachings in Matthew chapter 18 in one word, it would be the word countercultural, that we are not supposed to be like the world around us. How many by the show of hands believes that Christ makes a difference in a person's life? that Christ makes a difference in a person's life. Now, I'm glad you believe that. But the fact of the matter is, is that people who are outside of the Christian faith, some that may even be in here, that though you're in a church, don't necessarily mean that you believe uh, the gospel or believe the message of the Christian faith. Some would look and say, Man, I don't know if Christ does make a difference because the way that uh, Christians handle conflict often is no different than the way that those who are non-Christians handle conflict. So we wanted to do a deep dive in recognition of the fact that our world is engulfed in continual conflict all around us and it is literally destroying us. You need to look no further than the nightly news and you see it happening on the global stage. How many have been praying for the Holy Land? I've been praying for our brothers and sisters who live there. And if you're not, I want to encourage you to do that. But you don't need to go uh, overseas to see the devastating effects of conflict. In preparation of our time together today, uh, I did a little bit of uh, research. And I just want to reference a couple of uh, um, items that I found to be interesting. Former Senator Ben Sass, who is also, by the way, a brother in Christ. is the president of the University of Florida. He wrote an interesting book that I would highly commend to you called Them. It is simply called Them, subtitled, Why We Hate Each Other and How We Can Heal. Listen to what he says. When one half of the nation demonizes the other half, tentacles of resentment reach out and strangle whatever charitable impulses remain in us. We are losing our ability to have compassion and empathy, which renders us unable to show mercy Being Sass is concerned that the ethics of our culture, our our broader community, our, our nation, is being ripped out of us right before our eyes. That we've become so embroiled in conflict that we're losing our compassion muscles. That we are losing the ability to show empathy and mercy. And remember this, for those of us who are even remotely evangelistic, that those who you will reach You must first love. That Christ has called us to carry the gospel to those who maybe come from a different background, a different belief system than we do. But how can we do that if we don't love or have mercy and compassion? What about the workplace? How is conflict impacting the workplace? Well, I'm glad you asked. The Myers-Briggs company did a global study on conflict. Here's the headline that uh, time spent on workplace conflict has doubled since 2008. Listen to this. Currently, managers spend over four hours a week dealing with conflict on average, says John Haxton, head of thought leadership at the Myers-Briggs company, who carried on the study. The more time that an individual spent dealing with conflict at work, the lower your job satisfaction, and less productive they become. Conflict diminishes team effectiveness and reduces the bottom line. This means that conflict in our workplace is not just a relational issue, it's an economic issue as well. What about in our families? Well, the Institute for Family Studies released a groundbreaking uh, detailed research research report co-authored by four acclaimed sociologists, and it said this concerning the impact of conflict on children. It says, parental conflict is harmful to kids. Now, that's not a newsflash. We all know that, that conflict is harmful to kids. But it goes on to say, however, when conflict is frequent, when it is heated and hostile, involving verbal insults and raised voices, when parents become physically aggressive, when parents withdraw from an argument or give each other the silent treatment, when the conflict seems to threaten the intactness of the family, it severely affects children even into adulthood. That means that those of us who grew up in families that were embroiled in conflict— We're experiencing the effects of that, even though we're older now, it still impacts our lives. And for those whose family culture is marked by conflict, even now with little kids, as much as we like to say they're resilient, they'll bounce back. The fact is, the study and the research shows it will impact them for a long time to come. One more uh, quote, if I could. How does conflict affect the church? This is something we should all be concerned about. The Barner Research Group, which is a Christian research organization, released an article in January of this year. I'm just going to read an excerpt from it. It says this, conflict takes away the energy and focus of the church from the things that matter most. How can a Christian honestly bring the gospel of peace to an unbeliever when a battle is raging in his or her own church? Conflict also disheartens the congregation. The, uh, this makes it difficult to promote the ministry of the church in the community. Who wants to invite their friends to get involved in a church that is fighting internally? Ultimately, it's Satan who wins in conflict. He uses the tactic to cripple the gospel. Why am I talking about this? I'm talking about this because conflict is all around us. And I just gave you a whole lot of bad news, but let me give you some good news Jesus is the Prince of Peace. I want to say that again because you should have clapped there. Jesus is the Prince of Peace. Amen. That means those of us who are followers of Jesus, who have trusted in Christ, don't have to live lives that are embroiled or gripped by conflict. But it also means that there's something we're going to have to do. That means we're going to have to follow the ways, the will, and the words of Jesus. That just because we have put our faith in Jesus doesn't mean that we have fully surrendered every area of our lives to Jesus. It should mean that progressively, and one of the areas that I want you to take more seriously is conflict. I think that many of us don't take conflict seriously because it's so ubiquitous. We don't think it's that big of a deal, but it was the great prophet Vince Lombardi who said, and for those of you who don't know that name, he wasn't a prophet, he was a football coach. But you'll get the quote that unity, that's what it takes to make a team work, a family work, a company work, a civilization work. Without unity, the church can't advance the gospel. We cannot fulfill our mission. Without unity, your family's gonna fall apart. Without unity, our country will fall apart. Without unity, we'll see casualties on the global landscape. But we have followed the prince of peace, who says in his word, that I come to give you peace." so that you might be my peacemakers, carrying peace even into the midst of conflict. As a matter of fact, I want you to see your calling as being called into conflict. You have been deployed by God into conflict to be ministers of reconciliation. So what should our attitude be towards conflict? Uh, I wanna quote one verse from Romans, and then we're gonna camp out in Matthew for just a few moments. Go to Romans chapter 12, verse number 18. It'll also be on the screen. Romans chapter 12, verse number 18 says this, if possible, so far as it depends on you, live peaceably with all. I love that command. The command, the focus of that command is the assumption you can't control other people. You can't control whether or not somebody's a drama queen or king. You can't control whether or not somebody is controversial or brings confusion, but you can control you. How many know you can control you, right? You can control you, and you don't have to be the source of conflict. But herein lies the rub. How many out there by the show of hands like a good argument? Some of you, uh, praise God for honesty. Some of you are so uh, you, you enjoy conflict so much it doesn 't matter which side somebody picks. Just pick a side i 'll argue the opposite right some some haven 't met a conflict they've, they 've they 've they 've not liked now there 's another sermon for those of you who are totally conflict avoidant because there are certain times. Uh, that you have to engage in a disagreement or a conflict, albeit with a focus on the glory of God and desiring for that person to come to Christ. When you lose sight of that, you've lost sight, and you've turned this over to Satan. But this isn't for 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 those of you who are conflict-avoiding. Today, I want to talk to those who who really have a thirst for conflict. And have not embraced the call to peace. Look at what Jesus tells us in Matthew's gospel. Turn there with me. We're going to look at chapter 18 verses 7 through 10. Just a few verses and then we'll go home. But what Jesus wants us to see here is that Christians should help build up and not hinder the faith of others. That we're called to help to build up by bringing peace And not hindering by bringing conflict. Well, how do we do that? Well, the first way we do that is by not leading others into sin. Do not lead others into sin. Look at what he says in verse number seven. Woe to the world for temptations to sin. For it is necessary that temptation come. But woe to the one by whom the temptation comes. Now, let me just give you some advice. Whenever you're reading the scriptures, in particular the gospels, and you hear Jesus say, whoa, your ears should perk up. Because that is a really severe statement coming from our Savior. When he says, whoa, what he's speaking of is listen to what I'm about to say because what comes next, if you ignore it, will lead to eternal punishment, will lead to eternal judgment. So what Jesus is talking about here is no light manner. What he's talking about, um, temptation, and this word temptation is where we get the word scandal from. In the Greek, it's scandalon. It means to be a stumbling block. It means to draw someone away. And what Satan uses conflict to do is to draw you away from Christ into sin. He wants to use conflict as a distraction. And what Jesus wants us to be aware of, notice what he says. He says two woes in one verse. The first woe is to the world. He says woe to the world for temptations to sin for it is necessary that temptation come. Now let's pause for a moment right there. That's Jesus's way of saying to you be aware of your surroundings. Be mindful that you live in a fallen world. Never lose sight of the fact that you have an enemy of your soul that is constantly trying to pull you into conflict on your job In your home, in your neighborhood and community, even in your church, Satan is constantly trying to draw you into conflict with other people, knowing that it'll distract you from what matters most. It'll render you unable to advance the gospel. It'll bring a reproach to the testimony of Jesus Christ. But how many can agree with what this scripture says that uh, temptation is all around us? Temptation for conflict is all around us. This morning I woke up, had a good mood going on, and then me and my wife got into a conversation. I don't even remember what it was about. But the next thing I know, she misheard something I said, and we're having a loving conversation. Now, it didn't last long. We kissed and made up. Everything's well. Don't write me a note this week advising marriage counseling. We're going to make it. We're going to make it. But it's a reminder that temptation for conflict is all around us, be it a misunderstanding or our pride or our desire to be right all the time. Whatever the case may be, there is constant temptation around you. And Jesus wants you and I to be aware of our surroundings. Any parent that has a teen that's just started driving or if you've ever been through that season, you want them when they get in that car, be aware of your surroundings. Those who do security or in law enforcement, they live by this mantra, always be aware of your surroundings. Well, spiritually, we need to always be mindful of the fact that around every corner, what Satan, the enemy of our soul wants, is for us to get in conflict. So evaluate your life right now. Where's the conflict at? Is there conflict in your marriage, or conflict in your parenting, or conflict on your job, or conflict in your church? And here's what you gotta ask yourself, is this even fruitful? Is this helping to lead someone to Christ? Yeah, sometimes we got to we got to uh, wrestle over sin. Sometimes we got to correct abuses and those types of things, but it's never just so we can win an argument. It's always motivated to bring somebody closer to Christ. So when you're in a conflict and it has nothing to do with that, you got to ask yourself, what's going on here? Have I been trapped? Have I stumbled? This word again, scandal, means a stumbling block to draw someone away. Have I stumbled over a trap that was set for me by the enemy of my soul? Have I fallen for the bait of Satan, got offended, and now I'm in an argument, a conflict, or a disagreement, and I've totally lost sight? And I'm supposed to be my spouse's chief intercessory officer. I've totally lost sight of the fact that I'm supposed to model for my kids the gospel. I've totally lost sight of the fact that I serve a savior who while on the cross prayed this bold prayer, Father, forgive them for they know not what they do. I know it's about this time in the sermon where some of you are checking out and saying, I just wanna win. But what if the win was bigger than the argument? What if Jesus didn't call you and I to win arguments, but he called us to win souls? He goes on to give a second woe. Now, the first woe was to the world in general. Those who are not living for Christ, the sinful, fallen world, he says, woe to the world in general. Now, that word woe, again, means you're in danger of eternal punishment or eternal judgment. He says, woe to the world in general. But then he goes from the general to the specific, and he says, but woe to the one by whom the temptation comes, He says, listen, there's going to be constant temptation all around you, but don't you be the source of it. Yeah, temptation is a matter of living in a fallen world. We're never going to get this side of heaven to a place of utopia where there aren't going to be conflicts between nations, between classes, between people, between families. That's part of living in a sinful world. But woe to you or to me if we're the one through which the conflict comes. Does that make sense? It's kind of like this. Um, We're in cold and flu season. This is typically what doctors call cold and flu season. The kids are back in school. They're having fun, exchanging germs with each other. It's a great time, right? And we know... Pharmacies know, doctors know that there's probably going to be an uptick in, um, in people getting colds, but how many don't want to be the germ carrier that passes it on to somebody, right? Like none of us want to be that person who shows up at the party and uh, we came knowing we were sick and we passed it on to uh, 12 of our closest friends or family members. This is what Jesus is saying. Listen, you can't control the fact that you live in a fallen world, but what you can control is whether or not the stumbling block comes through you. Don't you be the drama queen or king, don't you be the source of controversy. Don't you stir up confusion on your job or in your family. You seek to reconcile. You seek to bring peace. You seek to be able to move the family from drama to unity. As a matter of fact, my team knows this. I've used this illustration often. I'll use it again that every one of us has an invisible, uh, two invisible buckets in our hands And when we come into into contact with conflict, we can use one of those two buckets. One bucket has gasoline in it, and you can toss that bucket of gasoline on that fire, and you can say burn, baby, burn, and pop some popcorn and watch the conflict get even bigger, or you got a bucket of water. You can toss that on the conflict, and you can put the fire out. What do you do when two friends are at odds with one another and you get wind of it? Do you work towards reconciliation with them or are you stirring up the conflict? What do you do when a husband and wife get in conflict with one another? In particular, when it's one of your kids and they're married to their spouse. I know how easy it is just to pick a side. I didn't like him anyway. But woe to you if the conflict grows into an inferno Because we chose the path of stumbling block, temptation, scandal, instead of the path of peace. Now Jesus is serious about this and and, and he shows us how serious he is in the next two verses. The next two verses, he wants to drive home this point. Don't lead others into sin was the first point. The second is lead by removing your own sin. Look at verse number eight. And if your hand, and if your hand or your foot cause you to uh, sin, cut it off and throw it away. It is better for you to enter life crippled or lame than with two hands or two feet to be thrown into the eternal fire. And if your eye causes you to sin, tear it out and throw it away. It is better for you to enter life with one eye than with two eyes to be thrown into the hell of fire. I don't know if Jesus can get more severe than what he just said. He's using figurative language not to tell them that they should literally be severing body parts or cutting out eyes. And I know all of that may seem pretty gross and gory, But the way that we're repulsed by that type of imagery is the same way we should be turned off by the sin in our own lives. This is radical. What Jesus is saying here is that what lies in the balance is not some simple argument, but if the distraction is actually pulling people away from Christ, if you've distracted people from the gospel, if you, because of your conflicts, have lost sight of the mission to reach the world with the good news of Jesus Christ, what weighs in the balance is eternity. And it's far better for you that you deal with the sin in your own life than to not be able to enter into eternal life with God, but rather to enter into eternal judgment. That's what he's saying here. But I want you to notice how radically countercultural this is. He wants you to focus in on yourself. He wants you and I... To deal with our own hand and foot issue? He wants us to deal with our own eye issue. He wants us to deal with our own sin issue. Let me let me ask you a question. What arouses your anger more? Your sin or the sin of others? Okay, you're quiet. I think I know the answer. What gets you more angry? Your shortcomings? Or somebody else's. What do you see more clearly? Your flaws or the flaws of others? I got a PhD in pointing out everybody else's flaws. (laughs) I'm an expert in seeing where somebody else is wrong. Some of you, you just take two minutes, you can size up a person in a couple minutes and tell I just didn't like them. I could tell they were off by the way they said hello. (laughs) Be careful. Be careful because we can become so focused on dealing with everybody else's weaknesses and shortcomings that we're not dealing with our own hand, our own foot, our own eye, our own sin issues. You got a lot of freedom in Christ. What you eat, where you uh, spend your time, what you watch, what you drink, these are all up under your freedoms. But there are two things that limit or restrict our freedom as Christians. The first is a direct command. When God gives a direct command, that's a, 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 a boundary on our freedom. So when the Bible says, thou shalt not steal or kill or commit adultery, that means those are things you don't even have to pray about. That means those are boundaries that God has put there to limit your freedom. But there's a second thing that limits our freedom. Not just a command. But a question, and the question is this, will this action, will this conversation, will this word cause my brother or sister to stumble or fall? Woe to the person through which the temptation comes. So I am willing to curb my freedom in order to make sure my brother or sister doesn't fall. So for those of us who are so big on our rights and our freedoms, understand that what Christ calls us to do is to lay down those rights and freedoms at times in order to protect our brothers or sisters from falling. So should I eat this? Should I wear this? Should I say this? It's governed both by command and by my desire not to be a stumbling block, Imagine how many conflicts could be avoided if instead of us being militant about dealing with somebody else's shortcomings, we became militant about dealing with our own sin issues. Imagine how much more peace could take place if before we spoke, we asked the question, will this be edifying and build up the people around me or will it cause them to stumble? Jesus takes this so seriously that he says, be mindful, because if you make the wrong choice, it could end in punishment for you or for someone else. And how many want to avoid that? So how do we have peace? Well, I said it earlier. Jesus is the prince of peace. Messages like this are a reminder that we all need the gospel. It's not just the non-Christian that needs the gospel. It's the believer It's even the pastor. We need to be reminded that Jesus is our peace. That when I rely on him, when I take his word seriously, when I seek to not only know intellectually, but know through application his ways, his will, and his word, when I'm willing to follow and obey him, then I can know peace, and so can the people around me. I said it earlier, our world is marred in conflict. There's producing casualties, not just abroad globally, though we need to be mindful of that, but even in our own families, even in our own church. So today I want to charge you with the ministry of reconciliation. We have been called to be peacemakers. Can we do it on our own? No, but by Christ and his power, when we step into situations, if we are willing to obey and follow him, we don't go alone, but we come with the Prince of Peace with us and the power of the Spirit to be able to help people to to not stumble in this end, but to hold closely to Christ. I want to invite you to stand with me as we close in worship. Maybe today's message is so practical that it hits home right where you are. Maybe you are in the midst of conflict. Today, if that is you, I want you to know that we're here to pray for you. I want to pray that God would use this series to bring peace to bring peace to our nation, to bring peace to our church, to bring peace to your family. I'm praying that God will use this series, but it starts with us humbling our hearts and saying, Lord, I'm willing to come to the altar with it all. I'm willing to lay down my desire to be right, to win, to prevail, so that you might be glorified. Let's pray together. Father, I pray for those who Maybe our part from you, of never trusted in you, to today would be the day of salvation. And for those of us who have trusted in you and this area of our lives has yet to be submitted to you, I pray that you would help us to know peace, to reconcile with those that we are divided against and to experience the outpouring of your peace and our relationships in us and through us. In Jesus' name. And all God's people said,